Welcome to FO Podcasts. This is Atul Singh, the founder, CEO, and editor-in-chief of Fair Observer. This is Christopher roper Shall Slightly more shorn and shaven than the last time we did this. I've, I've had a haircut. Oh, well, uh, you had to visit your mother. <laughs> I did have to go. I had to go home with my head held reasonably high. Reasonably high. Uh, and speaking of reasonably high, uh, today we are going to discuss three things, uh, Christopher. Indeed. Uh, yeah. What's up with American politics for a start? Uh, well, it, it, it's quite a ride these last couple of weeks. Uh, it, it's been interesting between the um, election of the speaker and the uh, documents that uh, are being found possibly as of this minute exactly. in, in Biden's belongings. Exactly. Uh, the second thing we'll discuss is this whole business about German tanks that has... Uh, all of Europe uh, and, of course, even the U.S. in a tizzy. And the third thing we'll discuss, of course, is what happens when 80% of China, which is 1.2 billion people, just so you know, <laughs> catch COVID and perhaps millions die. So without further ado, let's jump to America. So what's going on? Well, Speaker McCarthy was eventually chosen as the Speaker in the House of Representatives. It took a number of ballots. Ultimately, uh, he succeeded. He prevailed. And as you and I both know, there was some discussion with uh, some chaps on the Hill who said he was going to fight to the end. He did. And he, and he won. And he won. He won. Is it a Pyrrhic victory, though? It, it may be, because <laughs> he gave up a lot in this deal. Uh, it seems like it would be a lot easier to remove him. There's some discussion about perhaps what their side deals. Now, now, hold fire. I come from a parliamentary democracy. I studied in another parliamentary democracy, arguably the mother of all parliaments. You cannot remove a speaker willy-nilly. The speaker of the House uh, is, is almost sacred in the House of Commons. Yes. Gets elected with a majority, has to be removed by a majority. So what's going on in America? What sort of rules do you come up well, with? Well, they, they change. The House gets to set its own rules uh, every Congress. So and which is every two years. Every two years. There's so much for continuity. There, there is not much. This is actually quite a big change for the U.S. House because former Speaker Nancy Pelosi, now Speaker Emeritus, really ran it with an iron fist. In fact, uh, there was really no mechanism to remove her. She successfully passed rules to so do that. So she was a bit like Emperor Xi Jinping. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there, there were slightly more democratic norms. Uh, but at the same time, she she ran the show. And To now, be fair, she's not in office. So she, she yeah, is, is yeah. she, Jinping, is... is no, is, she, she is not in office, and she is in office, <laughs> and will be in office until there's a revolution. Well, we'll, we'll play with uh, proper names and pronouns yeah. later. Uh, but it looks like Kevin McCarthy uh, can be removed. A single member can uh, request a vote, effectively a vote a of no A single member, meaning a single Democrat or a single Republican? I believe it, it's a single anyone, but the Democrats wow. are pretty happy with sticking out with McCarthy. I think they might worry what would come after. Nonetheless, what could come after him? Correct. And uh, well, what could? Yeah. What well, could? we saw in, Donald Trump. I hear. Well, that was actually <laughs> tossed out. Yeah, thanks to Matt Gates. Um, yeah, he, Donald Trump didn't get. And by the way, it's worth noting yeah. that the Speaker of the House of Representatives does not have to be a member of the House of it Representatives. It could be you. It could be me. I'm going to throw my name in the hat next time. Uh, we did have quite you a. You just few... have to marry a rich uh, billionaire. Well, that's one route to take, exactly. I suppose. Rishi Sunak's route. I, I think I could also be the common man every day. The, uh... I don't think that'll get you very far in the House no, of Representatives. I, I, I think it's better to go the other way. Yeah. 
So but they would still have to have a vote on McCarthy. This is incidentally a similar mechanism to how John Boehner left the speakership, what, 25, I forget what years, I think it was 15. Mm. So the, the Republicans are in a position where the speaker may not be long for that role. There were some agreements made, some would say side deals cut for more conservative members to have committee assignments that are important. Now, the question I have is that Republicans won the House. Yes, they have and a majority. immediately afterwards, they disintegrate into bickering, if not civil war. That is very incongruous. Well, not necessarily. The Republicans have faced this many times before. Um, I see. Former Speaker Pelosi always kept her troops in line. Republicans have been, in the last decade plus, more fractious. The Tea Party members frequently cast some votes that brought headaches for party leadership. They typically see their minority of the majority role as a position, a sort of catbird seat, where they can force the, the majority, when Republicans have it, to move further to the right. So, this, so, so this is That's a not good unusual. point, because many of our uh, listeners in other parts of the world don't know the fractious nature of the Republican Party. And uh, may I point out that Donald Trump led a hostile takeover of the Republican Party. Bernie Sanders tried the same, but failed. Mm -hmm. So one party seems to be more disciplined, more authoritarian than the other. Without going into the specific practices, I was somewhat surprised by the way the House was run when Nancy Pelosi was Speaker. Uh, I can go into that, but there were many things that occurred on the committee level that were somewhat shocking to me, frankly. All right, so now we'll have a more fractious Republican House. What does that mean for America? What does that mean for the rest of the world? What it means right now, as opposed to the previous fractures and fissures in the Republican Party, right now the Republicans just have to run interference. It's not like they're looking to legislate. They have President Biden in the White House. They do not have a majority in the Senate. So for them to be divided somewhat is okay because they don't have to truly govern. Mm. So it's not the stakes are less high unless there's a major vote where they are trying to stop something that Republicans would perceive as bad and they can't get their own troops on board, which would leave the minority to prevail. But uh, I think Republicans... So it doesn't mean much. In, in it doesn't sense, really mean much so long term. That, now that you've, men you've mentioned Joe Biden, mm -hmm. let's talk about Joe Biden under FBI investigation. We had Donald Trump with classified papers in Mar-a-Lago. Right. And now it seems Biden has done the same. So I'm very curious as to your take on what is going on. Sure. So Donald Trump maintains, he maintains a lot of things. Amongst them, he maintains that uh, he declassified these records. He also maintains that he should have access to them under the Presidential Records Act. And indeed, there, there does seem to be, there, there is something to that. Mm -hmm. However, I don't think the Presidential Records Act meant that you got to just, you know, store them in your basement or wherever. He's a very stable he, genius. <laughs> very stable genius <laughs> with, now, with, with now fewer records. But there was, there was a bunch of do. The New York Times ran a piece with schematics, you know, really about every room about how these documents were improperly stored, so on and so forth. And the Democrats called for blood. They were saying that Trump was going to sell them, et cetera, et cetera. Biden himself, in probably the premier U.S. news program called 60 Minutes, 
was asked what did he think when he heard about Trump's documents. And he said, how could anyone be that irresponsible? That's a quote. He wondered aloud about compromising sources and methods. Well, now on five separate occasions, they found documents with Biden. They found him at his old think tank. They found him in his garage and in his garage next to his Corvette. Everyone likes to point that out. And they found him uh, elsewhere in he his house. He probably just forgot to put them in his Corvette. He was going to drive them all back he to might, the rightful place. Well, he would give, have to, give the old man a break. If he were doing that, he would have had to make several stops along the way because they seem to be somewhat scattered. Now, <laughs> what, what's interesting is he, some of these documents date back to when he was a senator, some when he was vice president. The Presidential Records Act doesn't cover vice presidents, and it certainly doesn't cover senators. So under no circumstances should those documents have been there. Biden is trying to thread a needle here. He keeps saying that he's careful with these documents, but it increasingly seems less so. He's talking about how nice he was. So, so question, does this mean that presidents these days, if not earlier, are just careless with classified documents, or does that mean that too many documents are classified? Bingo. A lot of discussion uh, on that one. You basically are in hot soup for no fault of your own. Well, I would say there's still fault because they are classified. However, there's a tremendous discussion now so, about the overclassification of documents, and you can see why this would yeah. happen because everybody wants to make sure it's a CYA measure, yeah. right? Let's overclassify it rather than CYA means cover your ass, <laughs> which we don't do much around here. But still, uh, so at any rate, that's what that's what they're doing. They'd rather overclassify than under. And so there is a question as to whether or not there is an overclassification. People on both sides agree, Republicans and Democrats. But the issue of the moment is not necessarily whether or not there is overclassification. That will come, and indeed, Republicans are going to investigate this. Mm -hmm. But the issue of the moment in terms of the punditry is that, well, Bo Joe Biden really gave these documents back. It was all nicey-nicey. There were fewer documents. Well, first of all, we don't know if there were fewer documents. The way they categorize this when they take documents, they call them items. An item can be a document or a box of documents. So we really don't know. The second issue is you'll hear in the news well, Biden was very nice about how he gave these documents back. But my question to those folks is, does the law exist to determine who's the nicer person when you're found to have confidential documents you shouldn't have? So that, that argument doesn't really wash with me. But I think what is probably most useful to people listening is why does this matter? And it matters because Republicans will investigate this for a long time. Uh, it's going to hurt the Biden brand of competence and normalcy and that he's free of baggage that can hurt his campaign in the future. The campaign timing is awkward because he's looking at starting his campaign here pretty soon. It could dovetail with the next election cycle, his decision whether or not to run. We now have special counsels, which are known for their thoroughness. You can't have the Biden special counsel in before the Trump one. Otherwise, everyone will claim skullduggery. And finally, it feeds into the narrative that Biden is past his prime. So having talked about uh, uh, the various political warfare over here, to get back to what you said, what is going on with this German tank business, Atul? Oh, dearie me. Oh, dearie me. Well, uh, I've been reading a lot of German press, and I've been talking to some German friends 
So I, I feel very German, um, <laughs> except for the height, uh, the skin color, and the blonde hair. Uh, you know, that I can't change. But you don't march very often these days, No, either. I don't, I don't. I used to. I do, I do like German marching, I must say. Uh, so... <laughs> the theater of the march. <laughs> oh, it's terrific. Now, here's the thing. There's a war on, a tiny little war on in Ukraine. The US and NATO have uh, promised and given military vehicles, air defense, defense systems, rockets, missiles, intelligence, and whatnot to Ukraine. Ukraine, however, wants modern battle tanks. At Ramstein, Volodymyr Zelensky demanded Leopold II tanks. And why? Uh, well, 1920 countries use it as their main battle tank. It was designed in the 1970s, introduced in 1979 to take on Soviet tanks, which, which are is now, exactly what they're facing. Yeah, which is which are and now sometimes Russian sometimes taking back. Yeah. Exactly. And this, uh, we can get a bit techy about it or a bit technical about it. Not that I'm very technical at all. Uh, other members in the team are far more technical than me. But it has a 44 or 55 caliber, 120 millimeter main gun. It has a 1,500 or 1,500 horsepower engine. And the manufacturer's website, which is KMW, tells us that it is, it is extremely mobile. It can operate across many terrains. It is well protected and it has highly accurate firepower. So it has accuracy, firepower and mobility. So you this can, is a mean, lean, sort of ambidextrous, you know, it's a pretty good fighting machine. It can go to 70 kilometers an hour and it can go up to 450 kilometers without refueling. So good it range requires too. less so, fuel trucks. So now we're in a position where the Germans are saying, well, America, you know, you show, you show yours, we'll show yeah, ours. Exactly. And uh, they're saying we have if, to move some, some Abrams tanks, basically. M1 Abrams, if you supply M1 Abrams to Ukraine, we'll supply our Leopold II. That is the German argument. And, and the German argument is based on three principles. Number one, support Ukraine as much as possible. Number two, avoid direct conflict between NATO and Russia. And number three, avert unilateral action by any single supporting nation. Now, a little bit of context here is very important. I, I can see you're trying to say something, but yes. let me give you a bit of context. Otto Scholz has declared that he will make decisions only in close consultation and coordination with our friends and allies. Now, why is he saying that? He's running a traffic light coalition government. Yes. The SPD, which is the Social Democrats, are in power with the FDP, which, who are the Free Democrats, and of course, the Greens. The color of the SPD is red, of the uh, FDP is yellow, of the Greens is obviously green. So, so it's a tightrope walk, and he doesn't have a supermajority or, or anything where he can Well, just... you're being kind. There's no bloody cohesion. Yeah. yeah. Therefore, you have incoherence and paralysis. This reminds me of NATO at the moment on this tank issue. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So Germany is NATO in a nutshell. Uh -huh. And so bear in mind also that the SPD is historically pacifist. Remember its guiding principle, change through rapprochement. Remember their iconic chancellor, Gerhard Schroeder, who was best mates with 
surprise, surprise, Vladimir Putin. Ah, yes, yes. He was in the pay who, of the Russians. Who, who now works for, or worked for a gas yeah, for course, a long time. Of course, of course, of course. So the Germans don't really want to upset their pacifist population by um, escalating the war. But, but and at they, the same time, Ukraine is getting desperate because Ukraine wants to cut off Russia's land bridge to Crimea. Come spring, it wants to use tanks and take back area around Mariupol, cutting off Crimea. It is going through a lot of pressure at Bakhmut. Understood. So, That's the big fight right now. Yes. Everyone's but they have been desperate. But the Germans have to realize that rapprochement is not going to win this thing. It, I think they have, but old habits die hard. I think you can, we can blame it on Americans' overcorrection. Uh, back in 1945, you feared the rise of another Adolf Hitler, so you created a constitution <laughs> that would ensure this would never happen. Oh, so boy. now you have a coalition that just cannot act. Hey, hey there, there, there's a lot of blame going over here for the, the American. I will just remind you, we've already sent like $30 billion worth of stuff. Uh, well, just invade Germany again and change their constitution. <laughs> I don't think we have the poll numbers for that. But, but nonetheless, so they they now say, okay, quid pro quo, you send Abrams, yeah. we'll send our tanks. And yeah. the Americans are saying no. The Americans say we've given a lot, at least give the tanks. And the Germans are saying if we give the tanks, and they fear that if they give the tanks, they will be seen by Russians sure. as taking on um, a bigger role in the conflict or declaring war. And the Germans have gone from jackboot-wearing hard-charging, hard-nailed um, motherfuckers to soft, sissy, soggy, uh, you know, wet pants. Well, and that, that's where, you know, as an American, our skin in the game is clear. The Germans have done very little of that Zeitenwende stuff we heard so much about last year. That is true, year. but remember two things. One, that Germany has become pacifist over the decades since World War II, and culture is really hard to change. And number two, German industry is on its back, if not on its knees. Inflation is 10%. Germans have nightmares about inflation. They really fear an economic downturn. That is why Olaf Scholz dashed all the way to China, didn't even stay the night, and dashed back. Well, so we are seeing a Germany that is behaving like a cat on a hot tin roof. Well, you mentioned China, so let's roll into uh, what happens when a whole country gets COVID at the same time. Ooh la la. 80% of China's 1.4 billion, as you noted, have had yeah. COVID in the last month. And we have an official 72,000 deaths attributed. Uh, now, which is bollocks. I, I which was going to say, I, I, I'm not a mathematician. Lie. There are lies, <laughs> damned lies in statistics. <laughs> and Chinese statistics have always been, shall we say, Statistics. I was going to say, they, they have a remarkable uh, <laughs> success rate with COVID, but I, I'm not buying it. And everyone else I read and everyone else I talk to says they're not buying it either. But how does this bode for the Chinese? What, what does this mean economically? What does this mean politically for Xi? Well, economically, this would certainly be disastrous. Yes, they are trying to lift this crazy zero COVID policy. They, not they are trying to. They have lifted this crazy zero COVID policy, to which Xi Jinping 
mm. nailed um, his colors to the mast, yes. and popular uprising basically eventually made him withdraw and dramatically, not just withdraw. in the middle of the night. Yeah, he retreated in the middle of the night. He basically surrendered with a white flag. And this has come at a time when you have the Chinese Lunar New Year. On 22nd January, a few days ago, the Chinese rang in the new Lunar New Year. Why is this important? Because this is a time for family gatherings. This is a time for temple visits. Soon they will have their spring festivals. Spring festivals. Right. And this means that the whole of China will, will move. It's like their Christmas. So what has happened is that the authorities have admitted that since early December, 80% of 1.41 billion people, which is 1.2 billion people, have caught COVID. And there are experts who estimate that the deaths could be as high, and one of them is Professor Robert Bui, uh, could be as high as 600,000 to a million. So economically, this would will hit them hard. Yeah. This will be a punch to the gut. And I've seen some, some, some deaths projections, potential death projections that are even higher than that. But the point is, oh, this yeah, is yeah, their ability. Be, we don't know. This is just ripping the Band-Aid yeah, yeah, yeah. more or less. And, and also pretending like, you know, like you do with kids, the, the goldfish dies and you go out and you buy another one and you say, or, or maybe you say, we never had a goldfish. And this is their way of saying, well, we, we never, we never really had a, a lockdown policy and sweep it under the rug, exactly. take everything away and say, everything's just fine. Exactly. Now, let me get back to the economics. And yep, I'm going shoot. to talk about 2022, which is a phenomenal year for China. China lost population last year, i.e. in 2022, for the first time since the Great Leap well, Forward. Now, te technically, because they kind of, we think they fudged the numbers the previous year. Remember, they delayed Possibly, release on those but numbers. but they admitted officially yes. in 2022. And in 2023, that is going to be the case as well. So it could very well be that this zero COVID policy, followed by the rash uh, removal of restrictions, is the start of the end of China's rise and the beginning of China's long-term decline. Well, indeed, I mean, even if you take away a COVID, the COVID problem, they still have their property crisis. That's that hasn't exactly. Stopped. We've talked it's, about it, sure. or rather, Glenn and I, the other podcast I do on the dialectic, we've sure. talked about it. They still have a litany of problems. They getting old before rich. No, no, exactly. Now, the important thing uh, you said, getting old before rich. That's imp that's important. But the important thing, another important thing here is. They had three years to prepare for this. Yes, yes. There are reports of hospitals running out of beds, oxygens, and drugs. It's clear that they do not have the right vaccines or the right drugs. This is a fundamental blow to the argument of competence. Xi Jinping is now all-powerful. He's an almighty emperor. And it is clear that the emperor has no clothes. Yes. So, so health officials everywhere are writing pieces about this, saying yeah. how in the world you had three years to prepare for this. You did not purchase enough or, or didn't allow your people access to some first-rate vaccines, a lot of the other treatment medications and drugs. And so you unleash this thing claiming that it was some great victory. Indeed, there is one benefit to, mm. to their staying their hand and having this lockdown. They encounter Omicron, more transmissible, less deadly. So they avoided that part that the rest of the world went through. Possibly. I mean, look, I, I'm Indian. 
India went through a horrific yes. time. And the New York Times was full of pictures of burning corpses. India, India ran out of firewood or rather had a hard time getting well, out of firewood. Well, all of that, that is true. But yeah. India also launched the most impressive, the biggest vaccination program, which the New York Times never covered, which sure. never covers anything good on India. Sure. But the Unless they is, criticized it. They, yeah, did, exactly. they did do that saying they were hoarding drugs. Exactly. Hoarding but the point vaccines. is India managed to get vaccines. India managed to be the pharmacy of the world. India distributed vaccines I even to Afghanistan after, of course, the U.S. pulled out. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. So my point is not to wave the flag for India. My point is simply that India was able to manage it. Other countries were able to manage it with smaller economies than China. What China is demonstrating is the limitations of the CCP model, the Chinese Communist Party model, which has clearly gone off the rails, which is no longer led by competent people like Deng Xiaoping. And the emperor, I'll repeat, has no clothes. So politically, this could be the beginning of the end of Xi Jinping. It would certainly hit his legitimacy and it will certainly impact CCP's hegemony. Well, there's an op-ed you won't read in the Daily China Press, so I, I don't think they've gotten that word just yet. Um, but nonetheless, from what do they say, your, your mouth to God's ear, uh, I'll, I believe it. At any rate, well, Thanks, y'all, for listening, and we'll do this again real soon. Atul, any final comments? Uh, no, uh, keep listening to the podcast. Make sure you go to our website, sign up for our newsletter, follow us on social media, and with the glamorous Texan, the good-looking Texan, uh, <laughs> you know, who has girls in India pining for him, uh, here is the Indian signing off. Bye for now. All right, bye. <laughs>